Caloundra City Private School is an independent, non-denominational school located in Pelican Waters on the Sunshine Coast. The mantra for our school is every student matters. We aim for every child to be confident, resilient, organised, persistent and social in all aspects of their lives in and out of the classroom. This podcast series is designed to share valuable insights from academic leaders on current educational research and perspectives as we all strive to help our young people reach their potential in today's ever-changing world. In this, the first podcast of Term 2, I'm very pleased to interview the principal of Caloundra City Private School, Dr Dirk Wellam. Dr Wellam has been the principal of the school since January 2013. Dirk was the Deputy Headmaster Academic at Churchy for eight years. Prior to this role, he was Dean of Studies of the Southport School for four years. He was the Head of English and Languages at Blue Mountains Grammar School, Wentworth Falls, New South Wales, and had three years teaching at the Hutchins School, Hobart, before coming to Churchy for five years originally in 1991. Dirk was responsible for Churchy's Emotional Intelligence Development Program and Positive Psychology Development and was awarded a PhD in 2009 for his thesis titled The Relationship Between Academic Achievement and Co-Curricular Involvement. Dr Wellam is also a highly experienced senior English teacher. Dr Dirk Wellam, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Um, Dirk, why did you want to complete a PhD and how can it relate to schools and children? Uh, The PhD was very much an intriguing thing for me. I've always loved learning and it's one of the reasons I'm a teacher. It's about promoting learning and I've always enjoyed learning myself in strange ways. Um, I'm an English teacher but um, the PhD was a quantitative study using numbers and statistics um, for a, a scientific uh, research purpose. So I wanted to challenge myself and learn as, a, as much as I possibly could about the process of um, really higher order learning and original research. And it was very valuable. And um, how long did it take you to complete the PhD? Uh, not long, about f- five or six years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the research was originally conducted in 2004-2005 and um, the graduation ceremony was 2009. Great. So you obviously focused on a particular topic of interest to you. Can you tell us what what was this topic and uh, how that relates to your work as a school teacher? I've been working in um, high quality independent schools across Australia since about 1987. And uh, the research was looking at um, the academic achievements of students in relation to their co-curricular involvements in their schools. So how much time did um, students spend on their their football or their netball, on their co-curricular community service work um, in cadets or whatever the activities were, and then complementing that what was their OP result. So looking at the means and the statistical significances of how much time was spent on each of these activities and uh, what was the academic outcome um, for those students. And the findings were 
um, really interesting and really helpful for me in terms of uh, leading schools. Well, let's talk about those findings because we, of, we all know that co-curricular work is important for students, but your research uh, pointed out the specifics. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I've been working in, particularly in a lot of uh, uh, boys' schools and football became very important, um, rugby or soccer or whatever it was, and there's a lot of research from, from England. So in England's case, it was about, uh, about soccer. Um, and I actually had this suspicion that um, th these people who are in immersed in these uh, team sports activities and who seem to not care too much about their academic results, um, that, that there was a correlation there between those two things. So I, I had this vague notion that if you were extraordinarily busy in co-curricular things, then that got in the way of your schoolwork. And nobody could really answer that question because it hadn't been measured before. Um, and what I was really pleased to find was that um, although there were some activities where students on average achieve below the academic mean, um, statistically significantly the busiest girls achieved the highest academic results, in, in our case at Queensland schools, so it was OP results. So the busiest girls statistically uh, achieved the highest OP results and also for the boys. Uh, um, it wasn't statistically as significant but it was a very important relationship between busy boys and high academic performance. So statistically overall for boys and girls the busier they were the higher their OP was. And what do you attribute that to? Well there are particular activities that, that tend to give it away. So things like um, cross-country runners were really high academic performers and I think a lot of that is, is about individual effort, discipline, hard work, that, that sort of stuff. Now those, those children also were very well organised and uh, part of the research was uh, uh, triangulating the data, just the raw data, with um, interviews with individual students. And there were some really interesting quotes from some of the students about the, the, the uh, um, co-curricular semester where they weren't playing their sports activities and they had downtime. They actually were really poorly organised and underachieved compared to when they were really busy in the peak of their season, what, whatever that was. So it was clear from what they said and also from what the data showed that um, the, the busiest students um, achieved amazing things and they were so well organised and so disciplined uh, and they were really high achieving people and, and will go on to be high achieving people in the real world. If we look at the nature of the co-curricular activities, were there any differences between say a sports program or an arts program etc? Uh, definitely. Uh, music students, um, for example, were really high academic achievers and, and there's no surprises in that. There's a reasonable amount of research about um, music and, and how that assists cognitive function. Um, but it was really interesting to see the data about the high OP means that were achieved with musicians, for example, or dramatists as, as well, for that matter, the, the high quality communication skills that are involved in that. Um, Another activity that was really strong for academic performance was people in community service activities. And although I don't have, I only have anecdotal um, evidence for that, I, I suspect it's because those people are thinking beyond the immediate, beyond themselves. They're thinking about other people. 
um, and they do have to put themselves out to do those things. And it's those kind of characteristics that allow people to be high achievers in the real world of work and certainly in Year 12 academic results. So things like um, people involved in community service, um, music programs, uh, drama, um, activities like cross-country running I've already mentioned. Um, swimmers surprised me. Swimmers achieved really highly in terms of OP means. And again, I contribute that, uh, attribute that to their discipline and organisation and, and the thinking time that they have while they're following the black line of, of the swimming pool. Um, conversely, um, netballers and basketballers and uh, footballers, both rugby and soccer, achieved below the academic means. And those are obviously team sports. And I think it's very easy to uh, be in a social relationship with, with all of these boys and girls that you're playing with and just enjoy that for the, the emotion and the challenges that, that that physicality has for you. But it doesn't seem to contribute um, to your academic performance because you can hide in a, in a scrum. Um, and you don't have to have put in a huge amount of effort or even self-discipline, etc., to to do those things. They're, they're great fun to play in and, and emotionally um, uh, very revealing and uh, you learn a lot about yourself by, by playing those team sports. Um, but they do seem to get in the way because of all the training involved um, of performing strongly in, in academic work. Another one that interested me as well was rowing for both boys and girls. Rowers uh, underachieved academically. Um, despite the nature of the students who do it, it's so exhausting. The physicality of rowing and the time involved in it, it meant that they uh, were focused on that um, and they were tired. And that was a, a common feature of students who were lower academic performers. They, they were just physically tired. So given your findings, Dirk, how are you able to apply that to the current school setting and parents' concerns perhaps that their, their children are tired, don't have the time to do schoolwork, whereas you've identified the benefits. So how do we juggle that? Um, I, I think it's very important that uh, we understand that there, are, there is a really strong relationship between some activities. All of these co-curricular activities will assist students anyway because uh, the data showed that girls who were uninvolved in their school's co-curricular activities were the lowest achieving students. Uh, it was statistically significant that the least busy girls were the lowest academic performers. So being involved in, say, a school musical, a school drama performance, um, to be involved in um, debating um, in, in chess or the co-curricular um, uh, community service activities that we do here. Um, these things are all really important. Um, the, the, the weakest performers are those who are not involved at all. So even though netballers or footballers uh, may be underachievers to some extent, um, they're actually achieving much better than those who are not involved at all. And I think that's, that's really important. So, you know, at our school, we try to promote all our sports people. We've got some high quality elite musicians and high quality uh, sports people, whether it's um, uh, in, in rugby or whether it's golf or whatever, whatever the activity is. We try to promote those people as, as role models and to promote the idea that it's great to be involved in all of these things and these people are 
real heroes. Um, one of our heroes this year is a um, young lady um, who's doing her goal, Duke of Edinburgh, and a significant part of that is uh, um, community service work. And she works really hard. She's extraordinarily well organised. Uh, and she'll maximise her results because of the busyness and, and organisation that she has. I know we touched on it before, but why do busy students achieve better? Um, the, the, the feedback I, I had from students individually um, in interviewing was that they, were, they had to be well organised. When, when they had time to sleep in um, and not get up to, to go to training at five o'clock in the morning or whatever the case may be, um, they didn't use that time wisely at all. Conversely, when they were in peak season, they had to get everything done on time and they couldn't waste time. And I think that was the thing. Um, students who are not so busy absolutely waste their time and students who are really high performers, they have to make maximum use of every minute that they have and they're really well organised and disciplined and they get it done. How do you encourage students to get involved in co-curricular so they can receive these benefits? Well, we talk about this sort of data as, as much as we possibly can. People's eyes glaze over after a while when you're talking about your PhD, but the, the basic premise of uh, busy students achieve really uh, the best results. So that's the, the broad, simple philosophy that we try to communicate and independent schools are really good at that because we want all our students to be involved um, for the, um, the social and relational benefits because the emotional intelligence that comes from all of these social activities, uh, they're really valuable character traits that students take with them into the real world. So whatever the activity is, um, if students are involved in it, they are learning social skills and the ability to communicate effectively. And that's what's going to carry them into success in the real world of work and in their family lives and in mental health. It's a really complex issue in the psychology of it, but it's fascinating. And for me, it's what good teachers naturally do, encourage students to be involved and to encourage students to communicate effectively. And as a, a media and drama teacher, that's your field and you do that so well. And mm. the skills that those students have learned with you, they're universal skills that are really important. Thank you. I'm talking to Dr Dirk Wellam, the principal of Caloundra City Private School. Dr Wellam, you're also involved in studies on emotional intelligence. Can you tell me about that work and how this is important for students and learning? Yeah, this is kind of a subset of my PhD. I, um, I could easily have, have dropped that into my PhD, but you, one of the things about a PhD is you can't make it too complex because it just becomes bigger than Ben-Hur. So it was an area that I, I'd have loved to have um, included in my PhD, but um, we had a research partnership with Swinburne University, Professor Con Stow and uh, Justine Lomas. Uh, um, and, uh, the research that they've done is, is really interesting in adolescent emotional intelligences. Basically there's a, a construction of uh, four types of emotional intelligence for adolescents. They split it into seven types for, for adults, um, just a finer grain, uh, grain split, but four types of emotional intelligence for adolescents and they are um, your ability to understand and communicate your own emotions, so being in touch with your own emotions. Secondly, the ability to understand and read other people's emotions or empathy, if you like, being able to understand other people and respond accordingly. 
Um, the third type is uh, called emotions direct cognition or the way your emotions affect your thinking. And uh, people who perform, performers, require, require very much to respond or use their emotions in their performance and in their thinking. So um, creative artists, whether that's dramatists or musicians or whatever, they tend to be really high in emotions direct cognition. Um, and the fourth area is emotional, uh, sorry, emotional management and control. Um, there, there's other aspects of these things that are really interesting for me as well because the relationship between uh, um, parents and their children's EIs is fascinating. Uh, um, the relationship between academic performance and those four EIs is really interesting as well. Um, students whose EIs in understanding the emotions of others are well above average and students who are very high in emotional management and control um, and to a lesser extent understanding your own emotions um, those are really high um, above average academic performers as well. Um, students who are high in emotion, emotions direct cognition they are the um, academic um, performers, they are the, the dramatists, the musicians, um, the people who are communicating and are using their emotions to, to influence people. Um, students who chose particular subjects, they're also uh, um, seen to be based on their emotional intelligences. For example, students who chose drama tended to be high on emotions uh, direct cognition. Students who are really high in subjects like accounting, uh, the higher order mathematics, the, the physics, the chemistry, those sorts of fields, um, they tended to be low on emotions direct cognition, um, but very high in emotional management and control, uh, very high also in understanding the emotions of others and um, recognising their own emotions as, as well. So. Overall, with uh, um, EI, essentially the higher your EI was, um, the higher was your OP in, in average terms. There's other interesting things about the relationships um, as well because um, mothers um, with high EIs and uh, close relationships with their children, um, if, if they had high understanding the emotions of others and high ability to um, express their own emotions, um, they communicated that really effectively to their children, both boys and girls. Um, but then the influence of peers comes in at, at puberty and uh, boys and girls who have um, strong emotional intelligences in those areas because of their mother's influence, um, they took those into a peer group which tended to have those types of emotional intelligences as well and they supported those emotional intelligences. But if you were high in those areas and your peer group that you moved into was low in those areas in understanding your own emotions um, um, and being able to understand other people's emotions, if your peers were low in those areas, they would influence you as a peer and denigrate the mother's influence. So in other words, puberty, post-puberty, your peers become more influential on your ability to understand your own emotions and your ability to know your own emotions. Um, fathers on the other hand, if they had a close relationship with their um, uh, sons or daughters um, and they were high in emotional management and control, they would um, communicate 
those traits to their child, boy or girl, um, and their peers of the adolescent wouldn't have any influence. So the father with high emotional manage and management and control uh, would have children with high emotional management and control, and it wouldn't matter what the peers were like, they would still be controlled. They, they would be very controlled people, being able to be in touch but control their own emotions. Conversely though, if you were, you had a father who was um, low on emotional management and control, then the children would tend to be low on emotional management and control. So that's the converse of that, so it's quite dangerous. Now, in the modern world where um, fathers are not necessarily involved in the relationship with, with children, um, I haven't seen any research uh, uh, about same-sex marriage, for example, about the influence on emotional in intelligences in that way. It'd be a fascinating area to look at with the, the nature of the, the people involved in those same-sex marriages as, as well. How can teachers use this information in the classroom to benefit students and indeed to enhance their own teaching? Yeah, well, uh, teaching, um, high-quality teaching, and, and particularly as we know in independent schools, it's very much about the relationships that you have. So people's ability to um, understand their own emotions and to be able to read other people and to be able to communicate emotions in, in a social relationship, which is what teaching is, um, they, they are really highly successful people. And the data also shows that people with high emotional intelligence are successful in the world of business. They are not bullied. They are not bullies. Um, they are people who are well-liked, well-regarded. Um, they're the ones who get the jobs. They're the ones who keep the jobs. They're the ones who are promoted. Um, and so um, teachers who are high in ability um, in emotional intelligence, they can communicate uh, those traits to the children as well. In a, in a sense, they might act as peers um, in influencing the emotional intelligences of adolescents. Um, in, independent schools are very much about um, setting high expectations of behaviour and, and a large part of behaviour is how you interact with people and the social skills that we have. Uh, a lot of it is about um, expectations, helping people to at least achieve uh, what they hope to achieve, but independent schools tr try to help students exceed what they thought they might be able to do. So. We do a lot of goal setting, um, but we want them to actually go above and beyond if they can and encourage people to do that very much. And those emotional intelligence traits for teachers and students that are fostered in these relationships in these sorts of schools, um, they're really quite profound for people's lives. We all know of the teacher that we had in whatever year it was at school that we carry with them we, we carry with us throughout our lives and, and they're still one of your favourite people that, that you can recall because of the strength of the relationship that you had with them and the, the warmth and security and, uh, and perhaps challenges that that person inspired in you to achieve high things. You touched on it there Dirk, I just wanted to finish today on the benefits of independent schools and um, you know, that relationship that we have is so important. Can you just um, outline what some of those advantages are for children, say, at CCPS over other school systems? Yeah, look, for me, it's, it's really clear. I, I, I started out working in the state system. I went to a state school my, myself, and so did my wife, for that matter. Um, and our, I've been working in independent schools, um, as I said, since about 1987, uh, so 
30 years or so. Uh, and it's very much about um, standards of communication and standards of behaviour, um, sophistication. Um, it's, it's not about um, uh, elitism where you can't communicate with people that you feel you're better than everyone else. It's actually being able to read and empathise with a whole range of people to achieve things um, for the common good, for society. You know, I think our school here at Calandra, you know, Calandra needs high quality schools like ours so that our society benefits because we have such high expectations of um, social behaviour and communication skills and, and working with people and supporting a whole range of people. And, and community service is just one of those types of things that helps our people to understand um, how to help other people. And I think those sort of things are really important that independent schools do so well. Well, Dr. Dirk Wellam, it's been a fascinating interview and I'm so pleased we finally uh, have you <laughs> on our podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. We found the time. Thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed my interview with our principal, Dr. Dirk Wellam. For more information about Dr. Wellam's research, check the episode description. And for inquiries about Caloundra City Private School, visit our website, ccps.qld.edu.au. This podcast was produced by Tracy Burton, featuring music by Paul Cusick. Thanks for listening. <laughs>